2007 was an incredible year for movies. Didn't think I was going to start here, but here we go. Um, I'm just going to reel off some of the movies that came out in 1907. So, Titanic, Goodwill Hunting, Fifth Element, Boogie Nights, Life is Beautiful, Face Off, Austin Powers, Men in Black, Batman Robin, that's the Arnold Schwarzenegger one that was in, well, you know, there's opinions on that. Event Horizon, Air Force One, Gattaca, Con Air, My Best Friend's Wedding, and that isn't even a full list of the big movies that came out. It's comprehensive. That's an incredible year for movies. I wish it was like that now, but it's not. There's one movie in particular. Um, it came out in this year, and probably when I was, I guess, yeah, in primary school, and it kind of shaped my thinking around priorities. So that movie is the Jim Carrey classic, Liar Liar. Um, for those that don't remember, um, you know, incredible movie. It had sort of slapstick and it had crazy one-liners that kind of became part of like, everyday speech. It was, it was an amazing movie and it kind of had Jim Carrey at the absolute peak of his movie star powers, I think. Um, for those that don't remember the storyline, so Jim Carrey uh, is a lawyer and he's devoted to his work and it ruins all the relationships that he has, um, specifically with his son. Uh, and so his son gets his birthday and he gets a birthday wish. And he wishes uh, that the character can't lie for 24 hours, uh, which of course means that he can only speak the truth for this 24-hour period and it's you know, one of the biggest cases of his life. And, and of course being a, a lawyer in the 90s means you know, it's impossible to be a lawyer and not lie, so that's a big you know, part of it. Uh, and through this process, uh, he's, um, he kind of goes on a, a journey of self-discovery and it takes you along with it. And you come out the end of the movie feeling like, well, you know, our priorities are set. We have to think about our kids or, you know, our cat or our dog or whatever it is for you that was your priority at the time. You came out feeling, I need to devote my time to that. These movies have shaped, I mean, there's a ton of these movies, and they've shaped our lives more than a decade now. Uh, and, but I know I still have trouble making my priorities in the right order, regardless of watching probably too many of these movies. Even with all of these movies, uh, as a society, we know that our priorities aren't in order. You only need to look around the world or watch the news for about five minutes, and you can see all around the world that, uh, that those priorities are really out of whack. So what will help us learn? How do we navigate everything we do to make sure that's pointing in the right direction? Uh, it's probably one of life's greatest questions and something a lot of people grapple with. So luckily for us, we've got some 2,000-year-old wisdom that kind of, kind of set us straight on that. So with that, um, if you've got your Bible, uh, cheers to those who actually have paper. If you've got a phone, that's right, I'll pray for you. Um, let's turn. So it's uh, Luke 18, verses 8 to 23. So it's the uh, story of uh, the young rich ruler. Uh, a certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your mother and father. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. We heard this, uh, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. So that's it then, isn't it? It's pretty cut and dry. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. I think we're done here. We can head out and have a coffee and then uh, 
we'll all head home and we'll take some photos and chuck everything we have on Marketplace. I'm really good at Marketplace and Gumtree, so you can message me for tips, everything will be gone within the week, and we can give it all to the poor. Kind of not getting the gist that people want to get around that. <laughs> so specifically for many of us here, this is like an incredibly challenging idea. Uh, especially with our current society and our um, societal moment, this is, this is something that would just be so foreign to us. Um, and I would say even more specifically to a lot of us here, um, you know, kind of that middle class, educated, upward mobility type people, th this is hugely challenging to us and something that we need to grapple with almost daily. So did you feel a little bit of tension when I read that verse out? Perhaps even that voice uh, inside your head said, well, it's okay, he's not actually talking about me, he's talking about the rich people, you know, the, the, the really rich ones, that's who needs to sell it and... You know, that's who this is really pointed at. And, you know, that's right, I've had that as well. Although stats vary a, little, uh, vary a little, the general consensus is that if you have running water, a house, a car, or cars in some uh, circumstances, and clothes, you're probably in the top 10% of the world when it comes to wealth. And that is likely a conservative number. For a lot of us, I would say it's probably closer to the top 2 or 1%. Still feeling tense? That's okay. I have this tension every time I hear these stats and every time I hear this verse. It's most certainly a text that puts us on edge. And Jesus, there's no doubt about it, he set a challenge here and something that we need to think about. C.S. Lewis once said, uh, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If, you, if I want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. I think there's no better way of putting it than that. So... Now we're going to take a bit of a deeper look, and we're going to put a bit of context around it, and we're going to round it out in the end. So, um, you know, stick with me. It's right. We're, we're all here together. We can't hold hands because of COVID, but, you know, we're here together spiritually. Uh, the book of Luke was commissioned for Theophilus, uh, as we read at the start of Luke. So most scholars figure that Theophilus was um, some kind of Roman official or at least a person of some higher social standing um, who was recently converted and wanted a firm sort of grounding in his faith. Um, Theophilus was Luke's literary patron. So uh, basically that means he was his cash cow for him to go around and write. Amazing. I can't wait to get that myself. Um, even Luke likely had some wealth. So he was, uh, for all intents and purposes, uh, a doctor. So he probably came from an all right wicket. I think he would have been doing all right for himself. This is a really important thing to note. We need to understand that what's written here is, is purposeful. And it's aimed at a Gentile audience and one that is likely to have a lot of wealth. And honestly, I think it's written at us very clearly. So let's go back to the scripture. We begin the verse by seeing uh, the young ruler, so a specific person, not a parable or a sort of general story we're meant to understand. This is the real thing. Addresses Jesus as good teacher. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Seems pretty fair, doesn't it? Calling Jesus good teacher. I think that sounds very positive, and if you would like to tell me that after, I'm more than happy to receive that compliment. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't really respond that way. Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. All right, Jesus, way to sort of bring the heat straight away. He's trying to give you a compliment. I mean, I thought it was a nice thing to do, but seems maybe a little bit harsh on Jesus' side. What's important to understand is that the rule wasn't simply saying Jesus was a good teacher. There's more to it than that. He was essentially declaring his earthly priorities and how he viewed people according to their social status. Good teacher being, you know, a high and exalted teacher rather than just saying, hey, yeah, you do a pretty good job of teaching. 
By calling Jesus good, he is identifying himself with a certain set of societal rules. Jesus, in his rebuke, is essentially saying, we're not playing by those rules anymore, we're playing by kingdom rules. And that's really important to understand as we go into the rest of the verse. So after this, the ruler continues asking, well, what what can he do to eternal life? Jesus' response is fairly straightforward. He talks about holding the law, the old law of the uh, Old Testament. You know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and mother. It's worth noting here that the commandments that Jesus has chosen aren't random. He hasn't kind of just grabbed bagged them out and said, yep, chick, I'll put those ones there, great result. They all have something in common. They are all based on the idea of community. You shall not commit adultery, the tearing apart of intimate community of marriage. You shall not murder, that one's fairly straightforward kind of can't have community without people around. You shall not steal. True community shares and is generous, and when theft is present, it tears that community apart. You shall not give false testimony. Lying and gossip destroys community. It's often talked about in the Bible, and it's a really big point. And honour your father and mother, the family unit, community, the honour that is meant to be bestowed upon them and bringing around that community of family. All these commandments are here to help and create community. Jesus is again setting the ruler's framework for thinking about the kingdom of God. Jesus wants abundantly clear that this community thing is a priority of God. It's a priority to be within the kingdom of God. As if to try and sort of save face, the ruler says, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And I wonder what he was thinking in this moment. He thought, great, I've got Jesus stumped here. I've done all these laws. It's all sorted. You know, I'm great. I'm set for life. This is going to be fantastic. But of course, Jesus comes back with heartbreaking news for him. You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Again, what Jesus is trying to do is change his framework of thinking. It's not about laws. It's not about hierarchical societal. It's nothing like that. So you can imagine being this position of the ruler. All the ruler has worked for, all the, the things he's done, the, the sacrifices he's made, or the people he's stood on to get to this certain social level. And Jesus is saying, now sell all of it and give to the poor. And I wonder what this could be for your life. You know, could this be money? Could it be something you've worked for, a status or a, a job? Or could it be time? Could it be time that you've got? What is it that you're holding on to? Not only is this going against his literal treasures, the wealth that he's amassed, but it actually challenges his idea, his framework of society. By selling everything, he would actually become part of the lower class. That would be a really big thing for him. Um, The next line is is probably the pivotal, pivotal, uh, pivotal part of the story. Then come, follow me. Jesus is giving an invitation for the rich young ruler to leave his devotion to wealth and to status and to the world to follow and disciple and apprenticeship under Jesus. A little more on this later. Next, we move to verse 23. When he heard this, he became sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. This status reaffirms Jesus' teaching throughout the Bible that you can't serve money and God. And Jesus talks a lot about money. Interestingly, this is the last we hear from the ruler. He doesn't come back in this. His answer to Jesus' invitation is no. His priorities are set in wealth. Early in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will also be. And the rich young ruler, I mean, he's the perfect example of it. His heart was sad because he was set on wealth, on his treasure, and not the kingdom of God. His heart posture was towards that of notoriety, status, and wealth. So the question then becomes, what's our response? What is our heart posture? Where are we placing our heart and our value? Where are our priorities? So before we move on, I want to just pause for a moment and ask, how are we feeling? It's a little bit tense. It's all right. I feel that. I personally think, for me, this, this is one of the most confronting passages in the Bible. And I think every time, all through my life, every time it's been read, I just, I just feel myself getting tense. And I, you know, I'm holding my hands like this, and I'm like, everything's fine. It's all good. If you're tense, fearful, or confused like me, that's okay. It's perfectly normal, and I want to honor that for you today because that is a normal human condition. For me, this has been a personal struggle, uh, so not even when I've heard this, just for in general. I mean, for money, you know, any time I get money in my account, I, I feel like I have to hold onto it tightly. You know, society has told me that there are so many things in the world that I need to worry about that I've got to hold this money in my heart and in my bank account and not let it go. You know, this is things like paying bills or feeding my family, really like those things, or slightly less noble things like buying more guitars. I don't need to do that. I'm sorry, Lucy. Uh, whatever it is, I think we've all had this internal battle. Whatever it is for you, that's, you know, that's going on. So the next verse asks the question that I think then comes to all our mind. Verse 26, those who heard asked, who then can be saved? So we're all asking that question. Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So what are we to do with all this? Now that we've heard the verse and we've gone into the context, you know, we need to figure out where, what, what our response and where we go with this. So firstly, I want to answer the question that kind of everyone wants to know the answer to. And, you know, do we need to sell everything? <laughs> This is kind of like the sticking point of the story. It's like, okay, well, like, that's all great. The context is great. You know, I'm a really good speaker, really happy, but do I need to sell everything? Because that's what it says. If we look to other parts of Luke's gospel, we actually see numerous examples of people with good means, with wealth, but they're actually living out these kingdom principles. One of the best examples is in the next chapter, we meet Zacchaeus. He didn't literally give away all his possessions. He didn't sell everything to the poor. But he did change his ways. He began his journey of, what I call his journey of generosity. He began to move more towards the priorities of the kingdom and that aligned with where his money was. He understood that accepting the invitation from Jesus means repentance. And I know that's a scary word. We don't talk about that much anymore, but, you know, it's important. Zacchaeus doesn't become poor himself or he doesn't change his outward appearance of wealth in order to follow a religious command, kind of like the ruler was saying. He dies to what he was before, his priority of wealth, and moves towards a new heart. A heart focused on discipleship and generosity. It's important. Levi, the tax collector, got it right. He changed his heart, but he didn't necessarily sever everything. I mean, he threw a giant party and have everyone there. You can't really do that if you don't have a house or things or money. There are examples over and over again of people with wealth but living out kingdom priorities. Luke wants us to see a portrait of rich people that often get it wrong, but can also get it right. So to answer that question that I said before, no, I don't think you need to sell everything. <sighs> okay, let's breathe. But, always a but, I want to be clear here. Jesus is talking about money. I don't think we can deny that. He is talking about money. 
And this verse challenges the very core of our priorities in regards to the kingdom of God. We often want to wash away those elements of these stories and instead focus on something that feels better because we don't have to worry about the money side of things and we can just feel light and fluffy and amazing. I know I often read these and I search for other meanings. Oh, maybe this is actually talking about, you know, my prayer or something and, you know, anything I can find to get away from it. But I think we need to face the fact that he's talking about money. And he's talking about a radical shift in priorities. The next big line that follows is the invitation from Jesus, follow me, as we heard before. Now, this is a, this is a really powerful statement of discipleship and something that we need to take seriously. He's not just saying it the ruler. He's actually saying it to us. Then come, follow me. Jesus was showing the young wealthy ruler and us that we can't truly disciple until there is no competition in our heart for money. We need to disciple towards Jesus until his priorities were ordered and our priorities towards the kingdom. See, what Jesus is also doing is he's helping define this community of followers, what we are, this fellowship, from those around them, from the world. Many who have been listening very closely, I mean, that was likely a big crowd, and so it's purposeful that he said this out loud. A community who embodies the values of kingdom and to follow Jesus. A community that distances themselves from the status conventions in this world, e.g. wealth and status and all these sorts of things, and who define themselves in the devotion of God and not what they have. And this is, the, this is the invitation from Jesus to us. You know, this, is, this is where it comes down to it. This is where the rubber meets the road. To reprioritize our lives to be in line with that of Jesus. That's what we're doing here. We're apprenticing under Jesus. We are discipling to Jesus. We are learning from Jesus. And then, come follow me. His invitation is for us to live his lifestyle and not have a heart set on earthly things, in this case obviously talking about money, but to actually focus towards him and his kingdom. But this then creates a tension for us, right? I mean, how do we have some wealth but make sure that we aren't focused on that wealth? You know, we're living in this dichotomy of having, you know, some money, having a job, having some status and wealth, but then also being able to understand that we need to be focusing on the kingdom. As I said earlier, this is something that I grapple with, pay to pay. Every time there's money in the account, I feel that rise of tension as I decide how do I steward that money? John Marcoma, who is an author and a pastor of Bridgetown in Portland, uh, has a great line about tension uh, from his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. To follow Jesus, especially in the Western world, is to love that same tension between grateful, happy enjoyment of nice, beautiful things and simplicity. And then this line is where I think it hits it. And when in doubt, to err on the side of generous, simple living. We need to look at our lives, our hearts, praying that the Spirit can turn us toward God, rejecting a worldly focus and receiving eternal life through Jesus. You know, it says at the end, this can be done, it's not impossible for God, but we need to turn towards God to make that possible. So I want to close with some practical ways that allow us to reassess our priorities and ensure that our hearts are facing towards Jesus and towards the kingdom of God. So the first one is prayer. When we pray, we invite God into our midst. We allow him to change us and for the spirit to intercede on our behalf. 
Prayer can allow our disoriented priorities to realign to the kingdom of God. I mean, the simple act of waking up every single morning and praying to God and praying that prayer that your priorities are angled towards the kingdom of God will shape you each and every single day, every week, every month, every year, till that is where your focus is. To truly realize us from, release us from our priority of money, we need God. It's as simple as that. We need God. This is a powerful earthly temptation that we need God to get us away from. And the only way for this to happen is to speak with God. So pray. Secondly is our budget. A wise financial planner once said the budget is a window into the soul. If you don't have a budget, I very much think you should get one. <laughs> they are very helpful things to have. But even if you don't have a budget, you can write down where your money's going. And even the simple act of what you write first can be a really good indication as to what you're thinking about. We can use this to expose how our priorities of wealth, you know, where can you see the kingdom in your numbers? Where are you putting that money first? What moves from your bank account first? All these things give you a clear indication of where your focus is when it comes to money. For me, this meant tithing. This was a huge thing for me. Uh, it's been a, dis uh, a discipline that has allowed my heart to die to money and release that stress up to God. You know, I was, it was a worry that I used to have over and over, and as soon as I actually began to regularly and dedicate time to tithing and thinking about tithing, suddenly that idea of worry of money just tended to float away because I gave it up to God. It was a really, really big thing for me. Finally, if the whole money thing is a bit full on for you, that's okay. Like, I understand that. It is for a lot of people. But there are other things as well. Jesus, and I don't want to mess this up, Jesus was talking about money, but look, I think we've got more in life than money as well. Time and attention is a huge thing. So perhaps you can start small with these. You know, where do you prioritise your attention? What are you watching? What are you reading? What are you talking about? Or your time, you know, what are you doing with your time? Where are you dedicating the cost of your time to? Is it to the kingdom? Or is it to yourself? And this includes hard things like family, like things that are important to us, but are they kingdom-orientated? I want to close with this. It's in uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, and I, just, I think it really sums things up well. So, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their... It's a great word, haughty. It's uh, <laughs> a deep word. Nor to set their hopes on uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good. And it says they, but I think it's us. We are to do good. We are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for ourselves, themselves, as good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And that's what it's all about, what is truly life, what kingdom has in store for us. So I want to take some time now. Sarah's going to come up and twinkle some spirit keys behind me. Um, and what I'm going to do, I think we just need to take some time to reflect reflect on what we've heard, and we often don't get a lot of time to actually just sit and think. We're obviously doing things, we're consuming media, whatever we're doing. I just want to give some time to that. So I want everyone to sit there in prayer. You can close your eyes, you don't have to, but I encourage you to, it helps you focus. And I want you to think a little about, about what God is saying to you right now. For some, you can imagine Jesus is next to you talking to you. You can do whatever sort of prayer you feel is going to work for you, but I want to make sure that you're spending time thinking about your priorities. Jesus wants to challenge us. Um, so take a couple of minutes now. 
I'm going to close up in a prayer. And then we're going to respond in song. And I encourage you to respond really well in song, heartily, haughtily, you know, to this, to this worship that we have of God. I mean, this is the kingdom. This is what we're here to do. So take a couple of minutes. I'll finish in prayer. And then we're going to respond in song. so much that we can gather here today, that we can allow ourselves to just open up into your presence and your spirit and allow it to change us, allow our prayers to change our priorities and reorientate our disordered desires to move towards the kingdom of God, the the kingdom that you so desperately want for us, this perfect place of harmony and fellowship, Lord, and and it starts with us and our priorities. I pray that that everyone here and in our wider community is able to look at their priorities and their money and understand where they are orientating themselves to. Where are their priorities set, Lord? We just lift everything up to you with um, humility and and grace and just and just we want to know you, Lord, and understand your kingdom and your power, Lord. So I just pray down on everyone, Lord, that you will bring the Spirit, bring about change, and that we allow ourselves to think about you know where we are who we are as people allow it to challenge us the word to challenge us and to take reaction from this lord amen sing together. If you want to stand, you can. If you don't want to, that's fine. Find a space that's comfortable for you, comfortable for you and God. Just reflect on the words. You don't even have to sing them if you don't want to. But just offer this as a prayer in response to God as we align our priorities with the kingdom.